Welcome everybody this morning to Bethany. I'm glad you could be with us. Both here in the sanctuary across the street in the chapel and also online. It's a privilege uh, to worship together. We're continuing a series uh, studying together women in the Bible and this morning looking at the woman Huldah. So take a moment, we'll pray together and then we'll look at scripture. Father, thank you for the privilege of gathering within these walls, listening for your voice this morning. And now we trust, pray, and ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us in order that you might shape us, Father, to represent your heart to one another and in our world. And we'll thank you for that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, see if you can finish this phrase. Use it or... How did you know that? You knew it because it's true, right? And it's true at many levels. It's true regarding physical exercise. It's true regarding learning a language. It's true regarding a musical instrument. It's true regarding just about everything. Like if you exercise a muscle, then it grows. When you stop exercising that muscle, it very rapidly declines. When I was preparing to hike in the Alps for my sabbatical, I read a book called The New Alpinists about how to exercise in preparation for a long, long hike. And they told me every day, you have to go every single day like, and do some aerobic exercise. And if you go every day, then your cardiac capacity grows very slowly, really slowly, imperceptibly. But it's growing, it's growing. It's growing every day, every day. And then this is the depressing part. Like the line to grow is very slow. And it says, and then if you stop for four days, like that. Like, it's, like it drops off a cliff. So use it or lose it. And it applies to our growth in Christ, and here's why. There's a muscle you must use to grow in Christ. And the muscle is this, response to revelation. In other words, uh, I will say this a million times as your pastor, all transformation is response to revelation. All transformation is what? Response, response to revelation. And therefore, I need to be open to revelation, but not just open to revelation, open to responding to the revelation that I received because God's intent, it would never be that I simply hear the Bible. Like I come, I take notes, I study it, I go to some kind of class with kids and memorize and get badges. I've got a billion badges. I've got, you know, gobs of notebooks on my shelf of sermon notes. Doesn't mean anything unless there's what? Response to revelation. In other words, the most important thing is the capacity to which I respond to that which God is revealing. Use it or lose it. So... Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a woman who brings the revelation of God to the king of Israel, by, and then the king brings the, that response to revelation to the nation and brings about revival. And so this woman who brings the, the, the revelation, her name is Huldah, and we see this kind of pattern of revelation response in this three-act play uh, where we discover, number one, that revelation leads to repentance. But then, watch this, repentance leads to more revelation, and then more repentance leads to actually revival. So what you see here is what I like to call the upward spiral of transformation. God reveals something, we respond, we get more revelation, we respond, we get more, we get more, we get more, so that we're from glory to glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, from glory to glory, looking more and more and more and more like Jesus, which, by the way, is the whole goal of the thing, right, is to look like Christ. So that's, that's kind of where we're going this morning, and I want to give you the context. The, like, Huldah shows up in the book of 2 Kings, 
which I'm guessing you didn't read this morning over breakfast. I'm just guessing that. It's a wild guess, but maybe not. And, and so let me, you need to know the context. Second Kings is about the fate of the nation of Israel, as was First Kings and First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, and judge all those books, all those history books. Same thing. It's Israel drifting away from God, returning. Threatened extinction, and then there's a little bit of revival, and there's a restoration. But there, so there's a so Israel in the book of First and Second Kings is like a stock market chart. Like we're oh we're cool with God. Oh not so much. Oh re, you know revival. Oh decay. Only the line watch is not like uh, the stock market in a growth boom. The the line is like this uh, 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 all the way down. It's like decay. And then, in the midst of this horrible decay, just before Israel is kind of evaporated as a nation, vapor, vaporized, I mean, evaporated or vaporized, uh, uh, just before the end, Josiah comes on the, on the scene as the king, and then Huldah, and there's a revival. That's what we're going to see. Now, here's what's interesting. Just before we get into the text, all through this story of Israel's history, it's a patri- when you read the Old Testament, it's written by men, mostly, and about men, mostly. And in the midst of all these men, every once in a while, a woman shows up. And here's the thing. Every time a woman shows up that's a, kind of this key player in the story, the, God uses this woman as a means of restoration and revival. Every time. So Tamar, Rahab, Deborah, Esther, Hannah, Abigail, Huldah. And you could say, well, whatever, they're just women, they appear randomly. But, or you could ask, is God trying to teach us something through this? Because here's the thing. In every case, these women that are there are there uh, by God's choosing. And, and men are responsible for the leadership of the woman. So the woman moves the testimony of God closer to God's desire, and you can interpret that observation however you want. The woman, God uses the woman to move the nation closer. You can, however, you can say, well, there were no men available. You can say whatever you want to say, but here's the deal. That's a fact. God uses the women to move the testimony of God, if, like I like to use a football analogy, down the field, Right? So we moved from the, you know, the 50 to the 40 to 30 because women showed up and did stuff. So that's kind of the thing. And, and when you read the Bible as a student of the Bible, because women in leadership is a controversial issue in some circles, when women show up, uh, often they're explained away. Huldah is the m- most difficult, if not impossible, woman to explain away. So I'm going to read why. So I'm quoting now. You cannot pull the focus of Huldah's story toward cooperative military leadership as you do with Deborah. Like, oh, Deborah, yeah, whatever. You know, she was a general, and, and so she had that role. Fine. You can't put a magnifying glass over her childhood story, her musical talents, her mistakes, as we do with Miriam. Oh, yeah, God used Miriam, you know, because of this, this, this. Uh, we cannot make her a beauty contest winner as we did with Esther. Oh yeah, you know the only reason God used, used Esther, she's so pretty, right? Okay, but now, when you come to Huldah, now I'm quoting, 
Here's the thing. Huldah does in the Bible one thing only. She's not a general. She's not a beauty queen, whatever that means. <laughs> She's not a musician like Miriam. She does one thing. She preaches a tiny sermon. That's what she does. And it wasn't sharing time on Women's Ministry Night, and she wasn't in the Sunday school. Her audience was actually the priests of the nation of Israel. The priests, like the leading men, she preaches to the preachers, and the men respond, and a revival happens. She held a respected position of spiritual leadership, clearly teaching the Word of God to men. I would drop the mic, but it's expensive, right? <laughs> So you, you understand what I'm saying. So reform only happens when a person in power, in this case Josiah, is responsive to revelation and he needs to be humble enough to receive revelation from a source that typically is not the spokesperson for God, a woman. In that culture, it was not the typical spokesperson. He receives this revelation. And we see this in this kind of three-act play. Revelation leads to repentance. Repentance leads to more revelation, upward spiral, and, and more revelation leads to revival. So let's watch this. Act one, revelation leads to repentance. So we're in 2 Kings. So like in the thick of the Old Testament, 2 Kings, and we're in uh, chapter 22. If you want to follow along, it might be valuable to follow along this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open. If you don't, there's one in the pew there, or there's one on your phone or whatever. There's a Bible somewhere. So uh, you can look along, and here's the thing. Josiah is the king, and if you know your Old Testament, you know that Josiah is fascinating because he's nicknamed the boy king. He came into power at the age of, are you ready? Eight years old. So at eight, he's the king. And then by the time he's 18, in chapter uh, 22, he has decided that the temple, the building in which the people of God meet, is in disrepair, in need of something. So we're going to repair the temple. So he sends some guys in. They first takes an offering. There's kind of a building campaign fund. And an offering is received. Now the workers are being paid. The workers go in. They're, going to, they're cleaning up the temple. The temple is in a bad way. There's idols in the temple, all kinds of corrupt stuff going on. There's corruption in the priesthood. It's a really bad time. And the first thing uh, Josiah does, it's like when the mayor of New York said, we're going to clean up the graffiti years ago. It's kind of that. We're going to clean up the temple. That's what we're going to do. So they, so they go in to clean up the temple. And this is where we pick up the story. Hilkiah the priest, in the context of cleaning up the temple, Hilkiah the priest says, hey, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. So kind of in a back closet somewhere, there's a scroll, and the scroll is what? It's, the, it's what we would call today the Bible. It's the book of the law. So you imagine uh, this place is in disrepair. Eric, our worship leader, is super corrupt, you know, and he's got all kinds of junk going on, and, you know, there's oppression in high places, and I'm a terrible guy, and we come in here. We're never doing Bible study. We're just doing, you know, I'm quoting Oprah and whatever. That's what we're doing. We're talking politics all the time. No, there's no Bible. And then, uh, you know, th there's a new, you know, new pastor who's 18, and he says, hey, the first thing I do, this place is a mess. They go, they start cleaning up. They, and someone says, hey, you know what we found? We found a Bible. We found a Bible. So that's what's happened. Like the Bible was so not used that this was a novel thing, okay? Find a Bible. And they bring it to Josiah, the king. Verse 10, Shaphan told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me this book. And so Shaphan the secretary read the scroll to the king. And in verse 11, when the king hears the words of the book of the law, 
he tears his clothes, which is a sign, actually, of mourning and repentance. So that's basically the story. For the first time in decades, a person in authority has heard revelation from God, and this revelation has created in him a dissonance between, like now I have this revelation of the way the world ought to be, and this is the way the world is, and this, I'm just going to stop right here and say to you, this dissonance is why you need revelation. Does that make sense? In other words, when we, when we study the Bible, we come to see what is God's heart for humanity, and when we, when we come to see what is God's heart for humanity, what it does is it, it, it creates in us like a sense of, oh, this is what God wants, but this is what is, so I have to take a next step to move to resolve the, dis, the, the dissonance. And some of you I know may not know what the word dissonance means, so I'm just going to go over the piano here and just kind of explain it to you because it's a, it's a musical term, right? And, and so when you're playing the piano... You go like a, a, a tonic, a subdominant, a dominant, and then there's something in you that wants that to go further. Do you understand? Like, how do you feel if I just... And then I walk away. <laughs> like, I can't even do it. Done. You're done. Oh, look. I need to move. That's, that's why you open your Bible. You don't open your Bible to get a badge. You don't open your Bible to check a note off a box. Oh, yeah, I did devotions this morning. No, no. Here's the thing. You're hungry. You're, you should be. We're all invited to be hungry for revelation. So that by virtue of revelation, we could say, oh, look, this is what God wants. Ah, God cares for the poor. God, look, I'm not whatever. I'm not, I'm not sleeping enough, or I'm not working enough, or I'm not exercising enough, or I'm not spending enough, or I'm too much, too much, too much. I'm not generous enough. I'm not caring for the poor. I'm not actively loving my children. I'm not faithful to my wife. I'm not telling truth. We, we study the law so that we can see the dissonance between the way we are and the way God invites us to be, and God invites us to be a certain way because that's that's the life for which you're created. God's not giving you a burden. God wants to set you free. God loves you. We must receive revelation. That's why if you guys hear me ha hammer habits, like are you developing a rule of life as we addressed last fall? Are you reading your Bible? That's why. And if you don't get the why right, to, frankly, reading is boring. But if I'm reading for revelation to, to discover dissonance, that's a good thing. And then, not, uh, I must be open as well to that, to that revelation being interpreted for me from new voices. Do you guys remember, uh, I have to tie my shoe, pardon me. Do you remember WTO, like that thing in Seattle that happened in 1999, or I don't know when it was, but there was a, like, there was a big meeting here, trade organization, and downtown uh, protesters came wearing turtle masks and different things, and they threw rocks into the... Uh, shops and stuff like that. It was a dark moment in Seattle, I think, and I happened to be uh, at Harborview Medical Center in the thick of that protest season because a member of our congregation here, as a pedestrian, got hidden by a car and was, was there. So I'm down there 
uh, in the waiting room, and all these protesters are waiting to get treated who've been pepper sprayed. And, and the thing's on the news, and, you know, they're giving the finger to the television and swearing, and, and it's just a crazy house, right? And I'm getting to be blunt in my kind of, I mean, I'm not a hippie, but I'm not a, I'm not a protester, and I'm getting mad at the protesters. And I'm like, these guys are wrecking our city, you know, throwing rocks, and stupid protest. I'm mad at the protesters. So I'm, and then, they're, you know, they're, they're swearing, they're clearly uh, dysfunctional at a level, whatever, okay? So then I go home, and we, we have a lady, our own hospitality, there's a lady studying at UW, uh, and she's a doctor, and she's doing research, and she's from Nairobi, from Kenya. And uh, so uh, over Thanksgiving meal, we're talking about WTO, and I said, those protesters, man, they're the dregs of the earth, you know, whatever. I don't know what I said, but I was mad. She says, this is this super respectable, articulate, like postdoc person studying at UW Medicine. She goes, if I had the courage, I'd be down there protesting with them. I said, bite your tongue. What are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean? Like... They're protesting. Yeah, she says, if you lived in Kenya and saw how many people are dying of AIDS because they have no access to drugs that they could get for a nickel if they could make them generically, but it's outlawed by WTO, you'd be protesting too. And there was fire in her eyes. Now, why do I share the story? That's new revelation to me. Do you understand? And it moves the needle in my own life. It moves the needle in my life. Agree, don't agree, it's not the point. Here's the point. Are you open to revelation outside what you already believe? Because if you're not, you've stopped growing. And this, is why, this is why we not to, need to not only read the Bible, but study the Bible, debate sometimes the Bible, listen to voices outside our comfort zone. All is essential for our growth. That's Josiah. So he, so he hears, and he instinctively knows, to begin with, oh, I and the nation are here, and we ought to be here. We're doing child sacrifices, and God's calling us to love children. We're oppressing immigrants, widows, and orphans. God's calling us to justice. We need to move. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. So revelation leads to repentance, right? And then the second thing, act two, repentance, I love this, leads to more revelation. In other words, if, I'm, if my heart is tender and I go, oh, you know what, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I need to move. There's dissonance. I hear it. I want to move. I want to resolve the dissonance. That attitude, God smiles on that attitude, gives us more revelation. So here's what happens uh, with uh, uh, Josiah. He hears the words of the book, verse 11, tears his clothes, and then he says, verse 12, and just listen as I read these crazy names, the, the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Azahiah the king's servant saying, listen, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of the book. For God's wrath is great kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed these words to do according to all that is written. In other words, he's saying, I've read it and I know that though we're here, we need to be here. I have questions. So, so I'm sending this team. You go find out. Listen, go and ask for understanding of the Bible. Go have somebody teach you what this means for us here now. Because that's really the thing that's going on. I need more revelation. 
So now, this, this is very important. Revelation leads to repentance, but repentance then, act two, leads to more revelation. And it's so important that you understand here, the most important thing in your life is not opening your Bible. The most important thing is not studying your Bible, taking notes about what you study. The most important thing is not receiving revelation. The most important thing is having received revelation, do I what? Respond. I have to respond. And it's the response, actually, that leads ultimately to reformation. That's why in James, remember what it says in James? He says, hey, don't be somebody who kids themselves, who deceives themselves by, by being only a hearer of the Bible. Don't be only a hearer, but be a hearer and a what? Doer. Be a doer. In other words, always ask when you receive revelation, where does God, what's my next step? What does God want from me? Receive the revelation. Yeah, you can't respond to revelation you don't have. But having received it, be humble enough to ask, God, what's the next step you have for me? Because if I only listen and don't act, or, or if I listen and talk but don't act, then I run the risk of being only superficial in, in my understanding of the faith, and, and then the transformation ends. I, like, I won't, I won't be transformed unless revelation is coupled with response. I, I, won't, I won't know any transformation. And you see, the, the reason this matters so much is this is kind of the history of many evangelicals. Like, we, we tend to, we're a highly educated community here at Bethany, particularly at Bethany. I came here to be your pastor because we're within three miles of 50,000 college students. And I love college students, and I love thinking Christians. And we're called to love God with our mind. Yes, 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 all good, all true. Check, check, check. And here's the deal. If all I do is receive intellectual stimulation and I change my mind, but I don't change my life, that's not repentance. Like, I got to change what I do with my money. I got to change my relationship with my body. I have to change what I do with my sexuality. I have to change how I treat my neighbor, how I treat my friend, how I treat my enemy. Yeah, I may change my vote sometimes. I gotta change. And if I'm not willing to change, then my heart is actually becoming hard and I'm ending up in a very difficult situation whereby I think I'm righteous because I'm receiving revelation. Receiving revelation does not lead to righteousness. Revelation and response is what creates transformation. So Josiah read the text and he knew that there was this dissonance, but it, like the text included, it's a scroll of the first five books of the Bible, probably, uh, the Pentateuch. And, and in Deuteronomy 28, one of the last chapters, Israel's getting ready to go and inherit the land that God's going to give to them. And in Deuteronomy 28, there's two mountains. There's a choir on each mountain. And they're singing, actually, antiphonally, like this and that, back and forth. They're singing blessings and cursings to Israel. If you obey... Blessings, dun, 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 dun. and then if you disobey, probably in minor and dissonance, you know, cursing, dun, 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 over there. Blessing, cursing, blessing, cursing, back and forth. And then Moses just says, choose. Like, what do you want? You want to live in God's blessing, or you want to live under a curse? So Josiah reads this, and he's like, what is this about? Does this apply only then to them, or does it apply to me now? Does it apply only to individuals, or does it apply to families, or does it apply to nations, particularly our nation? So he decides, because I, re I know the words, I don't know what they mean, he decides to seek out the wisdom of somebody, someone divinely anointed to offer interpretation. And so who gets chosen for the job? Huldah, the prophetess. Now, ah, this is really interesting. 
because Huldah is existing at the same time with a, she has her little ministry and Jeremiah has a big ministry. Jeremiah has a huge ministry. Jeremiah started preaching in 626 BC, finished in 587, 39 years Jeremiah spoke. Much of it recorded in the Bible. The book of Jeremiah is gigantic. And then he gets a second book called Lamentations, which is like his diary of mourning over the judgment of Israel. So Jeremiah, famous, right? Many of you never heard of Huldah until you came in today. And here's the thing about Jeremiah. When he preached, how did people respond? Well, they laughed at him. They got angry at him. At one point, they put him in stocks in kind of the village square. They beat him. They put him in jail. They threw him in a pit once. When his words were written down and given to one of the kings, the king said, hey, I'm cold. And he cut, he cut Jeremiah's words up and threw his words in the fire. <laughs> so people did lots of things in response to Jeremiah, but the one thing they never did was receive his word and obey it. Fifty chapters of prophecy, and there's not a sign that Israel ever obeyed Jeremiah. In fact, at one point, uh, th- there's a story in the book of Jeremiah, it's hysterical to me, because they, this, this delegation comes to Jeremiah. They said, Jeremiah, all your prophecies have come true, so now we're going to ask you a question, and we want to know what should we do. Jeremiah says, I'm not even going to give you the answer. Because every time I speak, you hit me or spit on me or put me in stocks. You never listen to what I say. No, I'm not even going to give you an answer. And they're like this. Oh, no, Jeremiah, we've changed. Listen, we really, really want to know. What should we do? If you just say it, we'll obey. Jeremiah says, this is what you should do. And they literally, liar, boom, they hit him. And you're like this. Who wants his job? I don't. (laughs) 50 chapters, no one ever listens. Hold it. Two sentences, national revival. Go figure. I mean, that's the story. She gives a short sermon to a group of priests, which means that she, Hulda, is bringing the word of God to men who themselves have spiritual authority, and the word leads to revival and reform. Very interesting. And she said, two prophecies she brings. The first is for the nation. And she says, here's the problem with you guys. You've turned to other gods. And because you've turned to other gods, judgment is coming to the nation. In other words, all the way back in Deuteronomy, there's only one God to worship. You worship God. And if you worship other gods, again, those two mountains, if you worship other gods, you're in a curse. And this nation, for generations, has been worshiping other gods under a curse. Now, I would just have to say, this applies to us today. Of course it does. Why? Because we have other gods too. Not little statues in our, in our bedrooms or living rooms or anything like that. Most of us, not. What are our gods? Oh, you know, materialism. Individualism. Like, I have my life. And I will make my own choices. I'm, like, I'm not responsible. I'm not accountable to the community. The community's not accountable to me. I'm responsible for myself. Materialism, individualism, nationalism, racism, pantheism, sexism, cynicism, sensualism. Since Huldah spoke during the days of Jeremiah, uh, we understand that uh, during those days, you had all these false gods and you had an outward kind of perfunctory religion to Jehovah. So this was the dissonance. In Jeremiah chapter 7, for example, Jeremiah says, hey, don't trust in deceptive words saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. What does that even mean? Well, um, the Babylonians are coming, and so the people of God, they convene in the temple, 
And then the false prophets are like this. Hey, you're in the temple. Safe. You don't have to worry about a thing. Because what? You think God's going to destroy God's temple? God will never destroy the temple. No, no. As long as you stay here, you're safe. Now, this is, this is the danger. Because the temple represents everything that's outward about our faith. But it's intended to be an outward expression of an inward reality. The inward reality had long ago departed. So you have people whose hearts are full of isms, right? All kinds of idolatry inwardly still going to church. And, and so and Jeremiah walks into the temple. He says, hey, you guys are saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Don't say that. Those are deceptive words. In other words, don't say, I'm fine because I'm in the temple. Like, what do we say over and over again as a means of declaring that we're fine? I go to church, I go to church, I go to church, whatever. I read my Bible, I read my Bible, I read my Bible. It's not, remember, it's not Revelation's response. I don't sleep around, I don't sleep around. I'm an American, I'm an American. Who cares? It's not God's thing. Because in that same passage, Jeremiah, he says, look, you're trusting the temple, don't trust in the temple, trust in Jehovah. If you trust in Jehovah, here's how I'll know. This is God speaking, Jeremiah 7, 5 through 7. Here's how I'll know you're trusting in me. Not that you're in the temple. You need to be in the temple, but that's not the point. I'll know that you're trusting me in this way. Fair treatment of the alien. Fair treatment of the immigrant. Empowerment of those who are pressed down. Active resistance of all the isms that are dividing and destroying you. Then repentance. That, that's how we know. If, look, if we say, I'm fine, I read my Bible. I'm fine, I go to church. I'm fine, I'm part of the greatest nation on earth. I'm fine, we have a great military. Wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> what do you say over and over again? None of us say literally over and over again these things, but I'm like this. I, go, I went to seminary, I went to seminary, I went to seminary. Therefore, you know, I must be holy. And you know why this is so very important? Because we live in such a vastly superficial culture. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like we assess one another by the outside of the cup and Jesus says, hey, because of that, you guys clean the outside of the cup. You're not doing the hard work of the interior transformation. And why does this bug me? Because every week, doggone it, I hear about another pastor who implodes and melts down. It's another financial scandal. It's a sexual scandal. It's a leadership scandal. And I want to say, enough. But here's the problem. People are following the outside of the cup. Oh, he preaches well. Who cares? That's not what matters. Don't look at my preaching. Look at my marriage. Look at my prayer life. Look at whether I read the Bible. Look at what I do with my money. Fine, look. I want you to look. Why? Because that matters. Hmm. And it's not just for me to clean the inside of the cup. It's for you. All of us responding to Revelation together. That's how we're transformed. That's how Bethany becomes a light in our city. And then there's a word that she has for Josiah. The word of the nation is you guys are hopeless because you're so obsessed with the outside. For Josiah, he says, you're not obsessed with the outside. Verse 19 and 20 of First uh, Kings uh, 22. Because of your ownership of collective sin, Josiah, your desire to restore, you, Josiah, will die in peace. That's amazing. You'll enjoy shalom, Josiah. You'll have, you, peace here doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It means in your life, Josiah, because you're bringing about this reform, because your heart is tender toward me, um, like, it won't be easy, 
But you, you'll know this. At the core of your being, you'll know I'm exactly where God wants me to be doing what God wants me to do. And isn't that what we all want? <laughs> Isaiah 26. God will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is set on God. Why? Because when I'm set on God, I'm receiving revelation and responding to revelation. And that gives me peace. And the last thing, the third act, response leads to reform and revival. So... Chapter 23, uh, Josiah c- convenes the entire nation in, a, in some kind of representative form. And they all went up to the house of the Lord, verse 2. Uh, and Josiah, the king, read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. So can you, can you picture it? Like, this is what's happened. Uh, you know, hey, everything seemed pretty good. You know, we're cleaning up the temple. There's a work day. Somebody finds a Bible, and then Josiah says, everybody, we're gathering here. And then he reads the whole thing. He reads it. And the whole thing is a covenant. It's a, it's a relationship with God. And then Jeremiah, uh, Josiah says, this day, we, we join God's covenant. We're moving in a new direction, and everyone follows him. And they begin, to, they begin to live into the covenant that God has invited them to live into. So, so that means for the nation two things. There's some removing and there's some adding. And if I could just say this to you, this is always what response to revelation looks like. There's some removing and some adding. What needs to be removed? Well, it's a long list. We don't have time for it, but I'll just begin reading it. So the king commanded, verse 4 of 23, 2 Kings, the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest and the priests and the keepers of the threshold, to bring out of the temple all uh, the vessels made for Baal and Asherah and all the host of heaven. So in other words, there were all these kind of idolatrous vessels in the temple. They got to go, right? False priests, they got to go. High places, they got to go. You know, oppressive teachers, they got to go. Like 15 verses, he broke this. He smashed this. He cut this down. He burned this. Take it away. What are we doing? We're cleaning away the isms. Oh yeah, well that's not for me. Really? Not for you? There's no materialism that needs to be cleaned away? No individualism? No nationalism? No hidden addiction? No loss of intimacy in your marriage? No no hidden lust? No hidden self-hatred? Good for you. Or we can repent. And begin to clean away isms. Yeah, Richard, you're so Old Testament. I mean, all this burning, smashing. You're depressing me. Can we get to the New Testament soon? Yes, 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul. We are destroying, we are destroying every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, which means we are actively resisting making deals with idols. Actively resisting. So when God reveals this dissonance in my life, I have to, I have to sweep away that which is holding me back from following God completely. That's the first thing. How often, Richard, are you sweeping stuff away? Oh, I don't know, almost daily. This awareness that I have steps to take in my marriage, in my, in my leadership, in my, in my relationship with God, in my relationship with my money, in my relationship with my free time, my anxiety about retiring, it's all there. Isms. Second, you can't just sweep away, you've got to add something. What does he add? Well, the first thing he restores is the Passover. 2 Corinthians 23, 21. I'll just read. This is so amazing. The king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. 
And then look at verse 22. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings. There was not a king who did the Passover right, not one, until Josiah. Centuries in. The nation's been doing it for centuries. Wrong. Josiah, first king to practice the Passover according to God's revelation. First one. Now, why is the Passover noted here? Well, I kind of wish we were doing uh, communion today because the communion table is like an embodiment of our version of the Passover. But here's the thing about the Passover. The Passover is this meal that is representative of God's desire for all of us to be free. That's it. Free from any isms that would weigh you down. And because that's the thing, it's the isms that are, that are weighing us down. Remember what Jesus said? Hey, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So what's, what makes your life heavy? Oh, materialism. You need eight figures or seven or whatever you need. And, and fear of the future. Individualism. Mother Teresa said we're the loneliest nation on earth because of the idol of individuals. We're so isolated. Nationalism. I don't even need to talk about it. You all know. Hidden sin, hidden shame, body image, isms. And then, it's not just a matter of sweeping away. It's a matter of kind of restoring the positive so that we take a step. Oh, yeah, I'm going to serve. Oh, I'm going to start practicing hospitality. I'm going to start giving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start having a conversation with my wife at the dinner table rather than looking at my phone. I mean, a step, not a random step. God spoke to you. My marriage, my neighbor, whatever it is. That's how your load gets lighter. Sweep away, add God's. Why? Because his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And you'll know the truth. And the truth, well... It'll be such a burden, Richard, such a hassle. No, no. On the far side of the terrifying step of obedience, freedom. What are the strongholds and idols that need addressing nationally, personally, in your life? What do you need to sweep away? I gotta sweep away my my self-hatred. I gotta sweep away my pride. I gotta sweep away my lust. And then what what needs to be moved in? I think Eric's going to come and lead and worship and we're going to respond. But in your response, my encouragement to you is to kind of think about those two things. What do I need to sweep away? What needs to be restored in my heart? Let's worship together. Father, we're mindful that the story of Hulda and the, and the discovery of the law and the complacency regarding the law that preceded the discovery, is this is not an isolated story. This is certainly our story as well. We cherry-pick the Bible, parts that are convenient, we embrace, parts that we don't like, we explain away. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would move in our building now, your building, and that as the law was discovered then, so would the law be discovered today, that you'd show us what needs to be swept away, what needs to be added for your purposes and glory, and we'll thank you as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.